Hi there, everybody. I'm Mark Bennett. I'm Head of Agribusiness in Australia here at ANZ. Um, welcome, everybody, to our June Agri in Focus edition for 2021. Joined as normal by Michael Whitehead, Madeline Swan, Adelaide Timbrell and Bryony Callender as we cover a few key commodities and the economic conditions at play at the moment. Before all of that, though, a, a quick uh, summary, perhaps, of where we think we're at. And to be honest, it's probably not a whole lot different than it was a couple of months ago when we last brought all of this together. Commodity prices generally quite high, seasonal conditions hanging on pretty well. There are pockets where it's a bit too dry. And we've also recently experienced the severe storm and flood damage through parts of Victoria, which is making things incredibly difficult for some of our farmers in those landscapes and, and the businesses around them. So I appreciate that some people might feel that conditions aren't perfect for them, but overall, uh, growing conditions are not too bad. There's a lot of crop gone in in good condition in the West, in particular in Western Australia. We still battle with some dry spots through Queensland, crop probably in pretty well in New South Wales and most of Victoria, but some of the Mallee and some of the Mallee and SA may be a bit dry. So Hopefully the rains keep coming and we can consolidate our cropping condition as we get towards spring. Um, but what are the things, I guess, that are driving and maintaining the good commodity conditions that we're seeing? And the first R word is rain, and that's really everything uh, most of the time. It's our own rain that's driving pretty decent seasonal conditions. And it's a lack of rain perhaps in some other parts of the world, in the US, most notably perhaps into South America as well, where the output is under pressure based on seeing limited rainfall. So the weather playing a role and it's playing to our favour at the moment. And of course, it can do the exact opposite for us sometimes, which we've experienced more recently through the, the drought periods until our comeback year last year. And the other R word, which is not really a word, is the rest of the world. Um, we're seeing not just the weather conditions around the world impacting our prices, but we've seen some regulatory issues as well play to favour for Australian farming. And this is where we've seen um, the Argentinians um, put a ban on their exports for a short period to protect domestic prices in that country, which has seen key markets scrambling for supply in other regions, notably the US, but nonetheless a supply constraint that supports prices in the markets that Australia trades into. Um, we also saw the Russian export taxes as uh, come into play on their grains industry as they sought to control supply locally. And we're also seeing the big buying spree in China continue, which is a bit out of the box. And we might cover that in the grain segment a little later on, just how much grain does the China market need and when will it end and what impact uh, will that have on prices if they do indeed step out. But we've seen that COVID impact and, and the weather impact driving uh, a lot of countries to support their own supply patterns, their own food security, and protect their own pricing structures as food, particularly in some developing areas, uh, is a very big part of a lot of people's total spending um, and is something that needs to be kept in check. So with that said, all going really quite well. Let's turn our attention to grain and I introduce Michael Whitehead to give us a summation of uh, how our industry is placed right now. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Mark. Well, normally at this time of year for grain producers right around Australia, 
really is one of those times where everything's in the ground and you wait and you look at the sky and you hope that the rest of the year's conditions go well enough for a good harvest. And that's certainly the case. But perhaps the biggest thing at the moment has been looking forward to or looking ahead to the 2021-2022 or the next sowing and the next harvest as well and what the forecasts are for those as well. And as you talked about the rain, the rain means good news right now. Soil moisture is in a very good condition in most parts of cropping Australia. And this is really making the forecast say that we could be looking for another bumper crop. It's looking like production for this year's winter crop could be almost 47 million tonnes. Now, that's down a bit on last year's record production, which was off the charts, um, but it's still very much up on the 10-year average. So conditions all looking good at the moment for the coming harvest and also for the sowing in the period after that, um, also looking like the year ahead will be a good one. So it is not just a short-term good outlook for grain, but a medium to long-term good outlook as well. I suppose the weather will start to influence um, current and future uh, grain markets as we get through the year, but do you think that uh, possibility of a really big crop in Australia will temper the kind of forward prices that we're seeing in grain and we're not saying grain but maybe all seeds and canola is the one that's really out of the box at the moment um, looking fantastic uh, is supply likely to upset that parade look as you say there are a couple of things which will, which will probably mean that whilst normally a big production level would uh, put downward pressure on prices that just isn't likely to be as big a factor this year just as it wasn't last year as well and it really is those rest of the world issues. Uh, when you are seeing a couple of things, the supply side restricted by whether it's the Russian export taxes on their grains, whether it's the uh, plateauing US production due to some of the weather conditions in the Northern Hemisphere, and also on the demand. China is buying, 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 and that demand for grain going into China is reflected in demand increasing in the rest of the world. So that is putting that upward pressure there. At the same time, there's another factor which is also helping grain prices, and that is this cattle rebuilding side of things. Because as the herd rebuilds and rebuilds, it's not just farmers restocking in their paddocks on the good grass we're seeing, it's also feedlots as well, continuing to see good numbers coming in to meet that export demand, and that's also keeping uh, pressure on the demand for grain as well. So any downward pressure that may have come from supply is being more than tempered by the demand side. And, and there's a global feed complex issue at play here as well, particularly in China as, well, I'm not sure how many pigs I've got to feed these days. It's moving around a little bit, isn't it? But um, but the availability of supply, but also that rebuild impacting um, the availability of, of um, grains and foodstuffs in the animal feed market. Absolutely. So China just keeps buying. And... If anything, some of the latest forecasts coming particularly out of the US Department of Agriculture is that the gap uh, in what China's forecasts for buying were previously are uh, maybe even higher now. China's buying for a couple of reasons. Yes, it is to feed that pig herd as it continues to recover and also feed everything from their dairy cows and their other domestic animals as well, uh, whether it's cattle, whether it's goats and others. But China is also continuing to fill and fill its warehouses, its grain reserves, uh, whether in corn and soy particularly, but also in wheat and a, a big wheat import forecast coming there, of which Australia will get a share. 
The other big point is, of course, when one country imports wheat, what do the others do? They need to try and find it from somewhere else, so they'll lift their demand, the fear of missing out, but also there will be that diversion into other markets. As we saw in Australia with our barley not going into China, but the barley that uh, other countries had going into the Middle East shifted into China, we got the Middle Eastern markets. So this rising tide that raises all boats, China is rising the tide, and all that grain is seeing increased demand globally. Thank you, Michael, for that roundup. All right, well, moving on to beef, I'll introduce Madeline to the microphone. Hi, Maddie. What do we see in the beef markets right now? It's been pretty strong. We're bubbling around that record sort of ecky price. Is everything hanging on okay? Well, you wouldn't have picked it at the beginning of the year that the ecky would be hitting new heights, smack bang in the middle of winter, but that's exactly what happened last week with the ecky and its West Australian counterpart um, reaching new record levels. Now, that's being driven by two factors primarily, both rain in um, southern producing areas and across New, a bit of New South Wales as well and across WA, and also by the ongoing herd rebuild, the lack of supply. So generally speaking, prices are obviously doing incredibly well. That's being driven less by the recent stock of prices as it has been for most of the year and more by producers looking for lighter categories of cattle, again, based on the rain um, and the expectation of a good spring flush and being able to fatten those, fatten those cattle coming into the end of the year. But really, at the moment, the big story is more about global prices. So since the ECI took its huge jump in the middle of last year, most people have been expecting it to come back significantly to realign with global prices because we jumped away from even US prices and we were, were sitting uh, substantially above all the other producing countries. What we didn't expect was for global prices come up to come up to meet Australian prices. Now, not all countries are there yet, but there have been a series of events um, across the global beef industry which have meant that global prices have had a bit of a spike. One of them has been the Argentinian ban on cattle exports um, to control their local food inflation and, and access to beef. That month of uh, export uh, ban has come to an end. Notably, we haven't seen Argentinian exports come back onto the market in full supply. What we have seen is the Argentinian government and beef producers come to an agreement about a quota-esque of exports onto the global market. So we won't see Argentina join the global market again in full strength, I think, for quite some time. Uh, what we've also had is, is China have another wave of African swine flu, uh, which has, again, um, hit their, their local pig demand and their pig herd, so that's increased their demand for beef. So that's obviously put a large increase in um, demand from China as well. And also, on top of that, you've had just the announcement of the UK-Australia Free Trade Agreement in Principle Agreement, which uh, will see beef tariffs for Australian exports to uh, the UK eliminated in 10 years. Now, that'll obviously take quite a while for that to happen, but it's given a big confidence boost to the market. So it really is all upside at the moment for um, the Australian cattle industry, except, I suppose, for our decline in exports. We Unsurprisingly, when we we're having uh, restricted supply and we're having a herd rebuild, our exports haven't been um, particularly massive, and we've lost significant market share to some of our, our major markets. Now, that's not necessarily a really bad thing because that's being driven by lack of supply rather than lack of demand, but it is something to be a little bit cautious about going forward as we um, as we may lose some of our role in some of those major export markets. Okay, for the sheep and wool story, let's go to Bryony. Bryony, with sheep in particular, what are we what are we noting in the markets? Prices hanging on pretty well and pretty profitable for farmers with season, I would have thought. 
Yeah, the strong season from last spring has um, really sh- held through and we're seeing that the trade land prices are now comfort- comfortably over 800 cents a kilo, while the restocker lamb has actually dropped now to around 900 cents a kilo. So that's showing that maybe it's the first signs that producers are getting to a point where they're comfortable with the flock levels. So we're also seeing as we come into the next spring, uh, having bounced off the spring flush of last year, there's a whole lot of uh, lambs that are going to be potentially ready to be first-time used in the coming season. So it'll be a bit of a tricky balance to see how producers go in terms of joining those first-time use, but uh, it, it's potentially going to create a, a big flush this season. Okay, so from a producer point of view, that sounds pretty good. Um, are the markets holding up because... Selling at a great price is one thing. Buying at a high price uh, is difficult in the processing space. Do we think there's enough in it for processing volumes to be maintained and and making profit out into ultimate markets? Yeah, well, Australian land consumption has declined in favour of chicken and we'll hear from Michael in terms of the, the changes in consumption a little bit later on in the chicken section. But per capita, Australia still consumes more sheep meat than any other country. Meanwhile, in overseas markets, they are continuing to increase their sheep meat consumption, partly because of uh, the developing nations just demanding more meat of of any sort. And particularly in those uh, countries with Muslim populations, they're really demanding more and more of our sheep meat. So we're going to see more exports of the sheep meat. Um, We're also seeing the potential return of a second wave of African swine fever in China, so potentially more export of sheep meat into China as well. Yeah, so the red red meat protein's holding up really well, and I guess next edition we might be talking a bit more of, of the new free trade agreement negotiated with the UK as well and whether that represents a resurgent opportunity for lamb into and sheep into that market. Uh, what about wool? That's That took a hit through the COVID period. Um, it's uh, seemingly rebounded pretty nicely. What are we seeing across the ranges in wool? Yeah, we've seen a solid bounce back to around 1,300 cents in the wool market. Uh, obviously, the lows of around 850 cents last September were a little bit concerning, but thankfully, we're back up to a pretty good good level now. We're also seeing quite a difference in the uh, premium provided to the really low end of the microns. So at the 17 micron, they've really increased quite significantly. And the premium to 21 micron is around 1,140 cents at the moment. So looking back at about this time last year, it was around 350 cents. And two years ago, there was almost no premium so it really shows the demand for that super fine micron is is just increasing exponentially. It'll be really interesting to see how that changes over the next sort of 12 or so months as we see the demand in that area increase. So we're also seeing that producers are slowly responding. The Australian Wool Testing Authority has shown that over the last 20 years, the average wool fibre has gone from around 22 microns down to around 20.5 microns in 2020. And interestingly, this is being led by WA, which has decreased 2.4 microns over that same period. All right, so a flight to premium there, perhaps in production, and um, 
will eagerly uh, watch global GDP, particularly in Western Europe and other key markets, as uh, they recover from COVID and spend again. Uh, the fine end of the market might perhaps be the main beneficiary of some of that. Let's hope that holds true. Thanks, Bryony, and very appropriate that you had the sheepdog in the background during that um, session as well. Okay, Maddie, over to you now for dairy. We've seen some pretty strong opening milk prices to kick off the, the new season in July for the Australian dairy industry. Um, confidence probably reasonably high. Uh, what are the drivers for these continuing good prices? It's been a great start to the Australian dairy year um, for producers with really strong opening prices. We've had some of the strongest start to a production year we've had in quite some time. And it isn't just about how strong the opening prices have been. It's also been the back and forth between processes as they, as they realise they've been outbid by other processes, they've upped their prices. So that really shows you just how strong a position the processes are in and how much um, they're competing for, for the dairy production across Australia. So it's a really strong start to the year. I think dairy producers are generally speaking in one of the strongest positions they've been in for quite some time. That's being backed by a really stellar start to the first half of the year for global prices. They have stabilised a little bit in recent weeks um, with butter coming off quite substantially, but that's not unexpected. But still, generally speaking, global, the global dairy trade auction prices still sit at very strong levels, and that's backing the processes' demand and ability to pass that on to the farmers. From a global production point of view, we're going into peak production season in the EU. However, even there, the growth in production is expected to be quite moderate. That's based on really high feed costs, and a really high cull um, in the EU in recent times, which is expected to constrain supply going forward. Across the board, China is still driving demand for dairy exports um, globally. The consumption of dairy products grows quite dramatically and production isn't. Um, having said that, the Chinese government has expressed a desire to be self-sufficient in dairy production in coming years, um, which has led to a large um, demand for primarily New Zealand dairy cattle. But as the New Zealand government have um, announced a ban on live cattle exports to start in 2023, that might mean that that demand for live cattle is shifted over to the Australian herd. Having said that, the Australian herd um, is at not particularly high levels, but in fact very low levels, um, and that's also backed by quite a substantial uh, exit from the market from a number of, of, of producers. So that's a bit of a worry for the industry going forward. Having said that, the total uh, area of land under dairy production hasn't quite reached the, the low levels we saw in 2011, so we haven't quite tanked out yet, but there is a definite decline in the amount of land being set aside for dairy production as beef production and sheep production compete for that land. So looking forward... I think most dairy producers would be in a very happy position. They'd, they'd be looking forward to a really strong year. Um, we've got good. We've had good rain. We've got dams are full. Um, perhaps the only the slightly black shadow on the horizon is the really recent increase in fertiliser prices, which spiked quite heavily. Um, but we'll have to see how that plays out in the coming months. Michael, over to you now for poultry. It's the white animal protein that has really given the sheep and cattle, and to a lesser extent, pork people, a run for their money. What are your observations? Absolutely, Mark. Poultry really has, over the decades, become the dominant meat consumed by Australians and in many parts of the world. 
the growth has been phenomenal. While we've seen red meat consumption continue to decline in Australia, uh, we've seen pork per capita consumption go up a bit, but poultry absolutely dominates to the point where it is now 50% of all meat per capita eaten by Australians. Uh, so in terms of consumption, it continues to go up. And because it is almost entirely a domestically produced uh, meat and with very little export as well, um, that supply has gone up at the same time. So chicken meat production has more than doubled in Australia over the last 20 years. We've gone from about 600,000 tonnes in this country to about one and a quarter million tonnes and the growth continues to, to keep going. It's the low-cost animal protein. How do we see this going forward? Are we going to see the continuing sort of, I'm sure if I should use the word industrialisation, but it's obviously a, a very controlled environment production system. Uh, we've seen consolidation in farming, broadacre farming, but possibly nothing like we've seen in the consolidation of the poultry market. Is Is there more room for continuing innovation and technology and efficiency that will keep a lid on chicken meat prices in the retail shelves or is something going to give at some point? Absolutely. that uh, Those improvements in efficiency continue to happen at a few points. One of them is in terms of the genetics of the birds. So we've seen in the last 20 years the yields per chicken increased dramatically from about one and a half kilos to almost two kilos of uh, meat per bird. So that's been a big rise and that is forecast to continue. A second part is the feed ratio. Of all your meat animals, uh, chicken, pig, sheep and cow, chickens have the best utilisation of feed for what it means for the amount of meat you get off. And once again, a lot of the major feed companies, animal feed companies, continue to see room for improvement in that. So in terms of the quantity of feed and also the cost of feed as well, trying to get the most out of it. And how that's reflected as well is on the cost side. Why it appeals to consumers is because the inputs for the other meats have gone up, so made those meats more and more expensive. Uh, the cost of chicken over the last 20 years has been even less than half of the CPI rise. So it's cost less to produce and it's cost less to buy. And as a result of all this, do you find in your own research that a chicken thigh today rates up there with a lamb cutlet or are you leaning back to red meat when it comes to the choice? Well, look, I have to say, as we agri-economists do, we look at what uh, the great bulk of consumers out there are thinking and why they're buying and what makes them choose one over the other. And what it appears is it's not just the cost in terms of chicken and perhaps the ease of cooking. Nobody really asks when you're cooking chicken whether you want rare, medium or well done. Uh, it's pretty easy to cook and it's pretty easy to buy cooked as well. And one of the other interesting things about chicken and why people seem to be buying more of it is because of its uh, relatively more bland flavour or the fact that it's got less flavour than whether it's fish, whether it's beef, whether it's sheep as well. And so consumers are able to adapt it more. So it's got all these reasons why people are choosing it more over, over the beef, over the lamb and the others. Indeed, and it's a brave person that will go the rare chicken on order, I guess. But um, thank you for the roundup, and we're now going to turn to economics and welcome Adelaide to speak through our domestic economic situation and how the rest of the world perhaps is moving in and out of the COVID dilemma that 
many still find themselves in. Uh, looking at the Australian economy, we're seeing a lot of incredibly positive data. We are expecting really strong GDP growth this year of 5% through 2021 and then around 3.5% through 2022. These numbers are really strong when we consider that population growth in Australia, which usually underpins our stronger GDP years, is really low due to those closed international borders. So lots of really strong economic indicators at the moment. The unemployment rate is actually 5.1%, which is matching its immediate pre-pandemic level, which means all of that unemployment impact that we've seen is basically now over. We're also seeing that both businesses and households are feeling really confident. We're seeing capital expenditure expectations up 11.3%. And we're also seeing owner-occupier housing lending 55% higher than its five-year pre-pandemic average. Consumer confidence is also really strong. So we are seeing that not only is GDP growing, but we're also seeing that businesses and households are more willing to take financial risks, more willing to expand their spending, expand their kind of activity and that's going to be something that allows the labour market growth we've seen recently to keep going. In fact, the number of job ads that are active in the economy is about 39% above pre-pandemic level and the difficulty to find labour is also at a 12-year high. So not only are businesses wanting to employ more people, but they are having trouble. The upside of this is that it's likely to create some higher wage growth in Australia and we are seeing some of those inflationary pressures in other uh, countries as well. So we do think that um, as a result of all this, we'll see wage growth above 3% annual growth from late 2022. And that means that from the middle of 2023, we may actually start to see the cash rate change. It's at 0.1% now. There's been some really strong forward guidance from the RBA, but it's going to stay at 0.1% for quite a while. We think that by the end of 2023, that cash rate will be 0.5%. The upside of that is that that's going to be pushing the currency uh, down a little bit in the longer term compared to if we kept our monetary policy really accommodative. So even though borrowing costs will be going up, we may see that we become a little bit more competitive over our exports. In the shorter term, though, we are forecasting some upward pressure on the AUD because we aren't going to be increasing that cash rate until 2023, most likely. And we do think that it's going to average around 0.82 US dollars over 2022. When we look at the risks to the economy, you know, another COVID outbreak, the vaccine rate going slower, all of those COVID-related things are still in play and are still risks to economic growth, but they're risks in the context of incredibly strong data of, you know, 12-year highs on you know, business confidence, the difficulty to find labour, the uh, underemployment rate is at uh, a seven-year low. All of these things are really showing that compared to uh, before the pandemic, our underlying momentum is so strong that even if a couple of things go wrong here and there, we are still likely to see that really strong economic growth. Right, well, I hope you've enjoyed our roundup today. It's a pleasure covering the ground with our team as we do. If you have any questions, we're always um, looking forward to hearing from you any time. But for now, let's hope the winter is kind to everyone and we will talk in our August edition. For now, see you out there.